I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Assessing your strengths and weaknesses as a way to get better as a runner. Assessing your strengths and weaknesses is key for building self-awareness and also knowing what you should work on. When we know what we could use a little bit of work on, we channel our energy into that area of our life. This is incredibly important in your personal life, your professional life, and it can also be beneficial to do this with your running life. You will be better able to reach your potential when you know what direction you should be going in. We all have different areas and today we are going to do a deep dive into some of the key areas that you may find are your strengths or weaknesses as a runner. So I'm just going to go over some of the, the big six with you before we dive into each one individually. Um, and I think we can start them off by looking at the strengths. So it's always good to focus on the positives first before we go into the weaknesses. And so focusing on the strengths, we would have number one is determination. Number two would be a positive energy or enthusiasm. Number three is your consistency. Number four, your confidence. Number five, experience in the sport. And number six, you have the ability to see the big picture and not get so bogged down with the little details. And so even just reading through that list, you might be seeing some of those things that you definitely know are, yep, these are my strengths and they might come natural to you. For other people, it might be a little bit of reflecting and realizing that, you know, maybe we're not great or perfect in any of these areas, but some of them, they are a little bit more of our strengths than a weakness, right? And so on the flip side of that, um, on every side of these strengths, there is a counteracting like a weakness, right? And so for example, the first one saying um, determination, something that could be on the flip side of that is impatience, right? So when you're really determined and you're really resilient, you're willing to kind of wait things out and you're willing to be in it for the long run. Whereas the weakness of that on the flip side, someone might be a little bit more impatient and want to see results right away. And so I'm just going to go over the list of some of the weaknesses, and maybe these are things that are going to pop up and just a way to reflect over some of these things before we do a more deep dive assessment. So number one is impatient. Number two is too negative or highly self-critical. Number three, inconsistent. Number four, insecure. 
Number five, lacking of experience of running. And number six is overanalyzing and focusing too much on the details. And so you might have some of these be your strengths. So maybe one of your strengths is consistency and you're really good at being consistent. Um, when you go to look at your weaknesses, you might realize, oh, you know, maybe my weakness is overanalyzing or maybe I have a weakness in too negative or self-critical. So if you have something as your strength, you're probably not gonna have that as your weakness. But we all have different areas where we need to improve. And a lot of the times people like to brush this under the rug and they don't wanna think about these areas of weakness. But the reality is if you can look at these areas of weakness and you can turn them into maybe something that's more neutral or even a strength over time by working on it, that can really help you break through mental barriers as a runner. So this podcast is more about the mental things I think that get in the way of runners. So Jason, I want to hear what you have to say about some of these strengths and weaknesses. And if you have any experience at helping athletes kind of combat that mental piece and working on the weaknesses that may, they may have. Yeah. You know, I think that the first one that you talked about was, um, you know, being patient with your training and obviously impatient would be the weakness of that. And so I think it's a super important, um, you know, skill that you have to learn over time is, especially if you're someone that, you know, has this time goal that you really want to achieve. And most runners that come to us, they want to hit their goal at their next race. Right. And so they might give it that one training cycle. And then, um, if they come up a little short, they might feel a little down. And so just helping them kind of reframe it as, as, you know, looking at the bigger picture in that they're still gaining fitness. And there's obviously, you know, a lot of things have to go right on race day to reach your goal, especially if we're talking about the marathon. Um, and so just learning over time how to uh, find the good in each situation and with each training cycle. And so patience is definitely important with running. And you could even break it down on a daily basis, you know, like, um, you know, learning how to take your easy days easy, you know, just being really patient with time in between workouts and that sort of thing. And so I think that's that's probably the first thing that we need to look at when we help runners, um, you know, try to make improvements with the running. Yeah, this impatience can really manifest itself in different ways. And you can see it show up in different ways for different people. I think the sport of running, when you first get into it, it almost is conducive to people who are impatient, right? So you have this period of time when you first start running where you see results relatively relatively quickly. Um, the law of diminishing returns basically says that right away you're gonna see huge gains. You're gonna have to do pretty much minimal work and you're gonna see these amazing gains. And so when you first get into the sport of running, you can get away with being impatient. Um, you can see results right away. And it, it almost um, seems counterintuitive that as you get more into the sport, you really need to um, become more patient because the law of diminishing returns does state that you know, you're going to have to put in more work and more time and you're probably going to get even less results. And as someone who used to struggle personally with this, I just find in general in life, I am someone who always needs to be working on my patience. Um, it's definitely a weakness of mine, but it is something that you can cultivate and work on. And there's just different methods we're going to talk about later. But Jason, what are some ways that you see your athletes or runners in general 
Um, you see this impatience kind of show up. What are some signs or red flags that someone might be impatient? Yeah, a couple couple things, and it's usually going to be um, runners that are training for like maybe they haven't done a half marathon or a marathon in a while, but they have the race coming up, and so um, maybe it's a month or two months out, and they're already talking about like their target race pace, um, or they're trying to run their long runs a bit too fast with you know trying to hold their marathon pace, and you'll also hear or see comments after the runs about just you know if things don't go well, they might just start to doubt themselves, and so I think it's just. One of these things, like it just shows, like, hey, the more patient you are, the more I think you have an understanding of how everything is kind of connected, and um, you're just gonna have more trust in the training. And so, I guess those are probably some of the ways. Just like looking at everyday runs and workouts, getting a feel of are they trying to hit certain paces mm -hmm. that are maybe appropriate or too fast, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Is wanting to you know set the pacing for the goal race, you know, several months in advance and almost that constant need to like be reassured that we're on the track. Um, that could also be like a self-confidence piece, but I can really speak to this one on a personal level because I definitely struggled with impatience. Um, really starting after like the first, the first five years in running, most people will see pretty dramatic improvements. Um, and I did reach a period of time, probably about five years into competitive running, where I wasn't really seeing the results that I thought I would, right? Um, because you're seeing such great improvements the first five years that all of a sudden I kind of reach this point where in order to even shave, you know, 10 seconds off my 5k time, it was going to take, um, you know, six months, four months of work. And for me, that was kind of a new experience. And I think I was doing a lot of things in my training that reflected that impatience that I really wanted to reach that next level and kind of almost skipping steps. And I think we live in a hustle culture, um, especially if you're listening and you're from America, we definitely are a hustle society. So it's how, like people will wear as a badge of honor, like how many hours per week they work. And I know Jason, you used to be in teaching. Did you ever have coworkers who would like almost brag about staying late or like working on the weekends and that sort of thing? Oh yeah, all the time, you know, especially with how many hours they spend at home grading papers or tests or whatnot. And I think you you, you mentioned a good phrase and it was that skipping, right? Mm -hmm. Skipping part of the work. And so that's, I can relate to that too as an athlete. You know, I've been a runner for the majority of my life and, you know, back in my early 20s, I was in really good shape. And so, you know, if I take some time off now and I want to get back to a certain fitness level, I will be very impatient with like the, just trusting the yes. process and, and going about it the right way. So maybe I'll start to do workouts that are too fast for the level I'm currently at. And then that can, you know, that can uh, end up in maybe being injured or just having a setback. And so I think just really, um, yeah, being patient in that aspect too. I think we see that with adult runners too. Like maybe that took time off for whatever reason, then they come back. And just uh, wanting to get back, rush that fitness back to that certain level that they they feel good at. And so a lot of times your training should feel like you're holding back. And that's going to be the key, you know, to get back to that level faster. That's a really good point. Talking about how when you're forced to take that time off or you have a forced break, how you handle that as a runner really speaks to this. So if you're someone who... Um, maybe you have gone through pregnancy and postpartum and you're getting back into running. And if you're someone who's really just like wanting to like get back, get the mileage back, kind of just build, 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 um, that could be a sign that maybe you struggle with impatience a little bit. I definitely know because I've been there. So speaking from experience, 
Um, like you said, sometimes when you were coming back from an injury, a lot of those things where if you're experiencing almost like setback after setback, we may need to like pull back the curtain and say, is this like a tendency that you have in other areas of your life? And is this like an impatience thing? And so then once you can kind of admit like, yeah, I do struggle with this. Um, that's where you can start to say, Hey, there are ways that I can work on this because sometimes being a patient, I know I talked about my experience, um, you know, five years into my running, I hit this rough patch. I was doing things with my training where I was being pretty impatient. So that would be things like rushing through a, a run. So I had to go to work after my runs in the morning. And so I wanted to get the most mileage that I could. So I almost like rushed through the run. Um, I would go too fast. Maybe I would not wait in enough days in between workouts. Um, I would maybe race more often than I should. It's like I was almost kind of always in a hurry, if that makes sense, um, in terms of training. It's like I wanted to do more marathons than most people. I wanted to do more mileage. I wanted to do more workouts. And this desire to like want to do more and not be able to like control that impulsivity of it is can sometimes be a sign that um, you're struggling with patience and trusting the process and stuff like that. So I wanted to talk about some tangible ways that you can work on that. So if you're listening to this and you're like, yep, I definitely struggle with that. Um, here are just some things that we think could help you in this area. And some of this you can do outside of running. Um, so this might be a tendency that you just have in a lot of your life. And so working on this, even outside of running can help you maybe in other areas of, of your life also become more patient. Um, so obviously the first thing you want to do is make yourself wait, right? And so thinking about tasks where you're going to have to sit in like a discomfort stillness is really important because it makes you kind of slow down and be present with that uncomfortable feeling. Because a lot of being impatient is that we don't like that uncomfortable feeling of waiting and we don't like that feeling of, you know, Jason, when you're getting back to running, you don't like that feeling of running 10 miles a week and that being like your cap and your right. limit. And you exactly. don't like having to go really slow on your easy days. And there's parts of these processes that are like uncomfortable. And so if you can practice being uncomfortable in that same way, outside of running, it can help with your running. So things like doing meditation or mindfulness, um, deep breathing exercises. So if you're someone who struggles with patience, um, doing some sort of deep breathing or yoga, it may be painful mentally to do that the first couple of times because of how slow it is. It's like, I hear a lot of runners, they talk about how they can't do yoga because it's just too slow and I think for a lot of people you could look in the mirror and say okay the reason that maybe I'm struggling with this is because I have a hard time slowing down I have a hard time being patient but using these activities can definitely go a long way other things that help us kind of slow down and get out of that hustle mentality might be reading a book doing a puzzle um, and then just obviously accepting what you cannot change and practicing self-empathy. So you are going to still get those feelings of wanting to rush through things or wanting to jump in. But if you practice that self-empathy and just allow yourself to be present in the moment when you're feeling that uncomfortableness and you are able to be mindful of, oh, I don't really like this. This isn't super comfortable for me, but that's okay. That's a really good way to just sit with that and then not allow your impulses to kind of take over your training. 
Yeah, all real good, um, you know, practices that you can implement. And I think that, you know, like you said, a lot of this can transfer over into other areas of your life. And I'd be interesting to see, you know, runners that would describe themselves as, you know, being impatient. I wonder if they would also admit to being impatient in other aspects of their life too. And so just trying to, um, you know, maybe start to implement some of these strategies and see if they can help you. And then um, the make yourself wait one, that one's really good for me. And, and just thinking about other ways that um, other things you can focus your, your energy into, right? So maybe it's, um, you know, less running, more strength training, for example, or uh, more yoga. And so, um, or even just like, yeah, maybe you're going to focus more on like reading books or more in your professional life and just growing as an individual. And so, um, you know, I know the last few years for both of us, it's been a great opportunity for, um, you know, just, just growing as, as humans. We've had a lot more time on our hands with things being, um, you know, different the last two years. And so um, I think practicing patience is always a, a valuable skill. And if you're someone that's excelled in this area, um, you know, hopefully you'll find one of the other areas that we talk about here shortly as an as a different area to um, work on. Right. Yeah. Some people are just stellar at being patient and I can usually tell like right away if someone's demeanor is more towards um, that calmness because they just have like this presence about them like, oh, you know, like they're really, I don't know, it's like a calming presence. So for those of you who are pretty patient, that's awesome. Keep up the good work. It definitely helps with your running for sure. So the second um, weakness that we want to talk about in terms of running would be too negative or highly self-critical. And this is where it can be interesting because being self-critical at times is okay. And like having high standards for yourself is okay. It's when we get to that perfectionist attitude where it almost becomes dysfunctional, where it's like, your standards are too high. You're never satisfied. Um, you're always beating yourself up. So even if like you hit your goal, it's just like, oh, I could have done better. And it's just that constant, never good enough attitude that can really get people down. So it's good to have standard. It's good to have goals. It's good to, you know, reflect and have feedback for yourself and be a little self-critical. But when it's like this constant beating of you down, that's where I think that can actually start holding you back. And I know that they've actually done studies on this where some people think that this is like a motivational tactic. They think they have to be mean to themselves to motivate motivate themselves. And what they've actually find is that people who practice this as a way to motivate themselves, some people will be like, gosh, you're so lazy. Just get out there and go for a run. That you might think that that's helping, but it actually doesn't help any more than doing like a like a positive strategy so sometimes we kind of get in these dysfunctional um, mindset things and they end up holding us back because if you constantly have this voice that's beating yourself up you get to mile 20 of a marathon and you start to feel like crap well that voice isn't going to be you know the nicest thing to you it's going to be like well you, you blew it again and you know you're so weak you can't do this sort of thing um how do you think that this sort of thing manifests itself with your athletes? I'm sure you see this all the time. Um, and what was some ways that people can identify? Yeah, I think I do this. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Like you're at mile 20 of the marathon. And if you're used to listening to these, um, these thoughts that come to mind, you know, what do you think you're going to do at that point? You're going to, um, you know, believe whatever that negative thought is. And so 
um, it's going to have a huge effect on, on your outcome. And I think that, you know, recognizing those triggers from a daily basis. So I think the reason a lot of athletes may struggle with this is they are just, um, you know, they're too quick to point out like the negatives about each individual run or workout. Um, you know, maybe they didn't feel well because it was too hot or they looked at their paces and they couldn't figure out why, you know, they, they regressed throughout the run, those sorts of things instead of trying to like pick out the one positive of each run or workout. So I think that is definitely an area um, that some athletes struggle with. And I think just that like perfection tendencies that you mentioned, right. I think that that can be something that a lot of people maybe struggle with as well. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. The super critical part um, it's, I think it's pretty evident in most people um, who do this, it, I mean, it's pretty evident in the way that you hear in their language, right? So for example, after the Chicago marathon last year, it was a really hot day. Most people did not reach their goals. I mean, temps were in the eighties. It was humid. Um, most people had rough, rough goes of it. And I do remember one of our athletes got spotlighted in the story like the next day and, and they ran like a PR and, um, I mean, they were going to run an even faster time. So when you posted it, it looked like they had a successful day. And I got a few messages that were like, oh, like I, this makes me feel awful. And oh, now I feel really bad. And it's like being mindful of why would that stir up feelings that you feel bad, right? So you're seeing someone, all they saw was someone had a successful marathon. They ran well. Um, if that's like bringing up negative feelings, I think the best thing we can do is just be mindful of like, why am I feeling this way? And like, what sort of language am I saying to myself, right? So if you find that like really triggering, I think that says something about kind of what's going on internally. So if you're feeling like really bad about someone succeeding, is it because you're just being super self-critical of yourself in the process or kind of just weeding through why you feel the way that you do about certain things. Um, also, you can hear it in other ways or languages. So if you finish a race and you hit your goal and you find yourself like somehow finding something negative <laughs> in that, um, I know I've definitely been there before because I can be a pretty self-critical. I, I, I try to be more self-aware, but I think we can all relate. Um, if you are someone who struggles with this, you finish a race, you hit your goal, and yet you can find, oh, you know, I could have sped up a little bit at mile whatever. Or, you know, I, I didn't really do that hill as strong as I hoped. Or if I would have just ran a little bit faster that last mile, I would have ran, you know, 313 instead of 314 or whatever it may be for you. So those are, you know, maybe some signs that you struggle with being overly self-critical because when you do cross the finish line of a race and you hit your goal or you come pretty close, I would say having more feelings of like positivity would be more on the mm -hmm. norm. And that would be ways that you're maybe not overly a perfectionist. Yeah. You brought up the, the Chicago race and I think that was a, a great um, example for a lot of people that maybe didn't reach their goal. And so I think that, um, you know, that was an opportunity for people. We're, ta we're talking about gaining experience coming up here. So that was an example for people to uh, run in conditions that weren't considered ideal. And so they're working on their mental toughness. They're gaining experience. They're learning how their bodies may be reacting in certain conditions, you know. And so 
there's a lot of strategizing that probably went in that day to um, adjusting pacing and maybe fueling. And so um, all positive things that you could take away from that experience would be just like gaining that experience of having to run in tough conditions. And then anyone that obviously finished the race that day, I mean, to me, that's always an accomplishment when you can finish a marathon. Right. There's <clears throat> always ways to like spin it and try to find positives in there. But a lot of the people who struggle with this, they have a lot of that like black or white thinking. So it'll be like, you know, mm -hmm. you've heard the phrase like PR or ER. Like it's like I'm either going to run my best or, you know, I'm going to be in yeah. the ER. I mean, that's it's, it's, gonna be it's a bad just day. mind boggling. Yeah. yeah. Or you've heard like BQ or bust. Right. So it's like. I'm either going to run 329 or my if I run a 331, my whole race was in the garbage. Right. And it's, it's like those mindsets are really more on that toxic, toxic perfectionist um, tendencies that definitely are not, um, not beneficial when it comes to long-term success. And right. you're never really going to be happy and content with yourself if you're constantly on this black or white thinking unable to see the positives, um, that sort of thing. So I think some of the ways that you can help to work on this, so if you're saying, yeah, this definitely sounds like me 100%, I think working on mindfulness can be huge. So doing some mindfulness and just recognizing when emotions come up. So if you do find like you're angry when someone PRs, I think instead of reacting to that or trying to like brush it away because, oh, it's an inappropriate feeling or whatever, um, just acknowledging it and be like, whoa, like, what does this feeling say? Just looking at it, observing it, don't judge yourself when you get feelings, um, and just kind of starting there and getting to know, um, getting to know yourself in that way. So being mindful, um, also recognizing your triggers. So social media for a lot of people can be negative for your mental health. And so if you're someone that's noticing every time you're on social media, it's just like this negative, toxic, you're feeling angry, that sort of thing. Maybe we're going to spend less time on social media. Maybe leading up to, you know, big races or workouts, we're not going to be on social media because if something's a trigger for you, we want to kind of eliminate that and make it so that you can be in a more positive headspace more often. Um, coming up with neutral statements instead. So if you're constantly being negative, like, oh, I always blow up on hills or I always race bad in the heat, you would come up with neutral statements such as, um, you know, I usually don't run well in the heat, but I've trained in these conditions, it's going to be okay. Or I have ran slow on hills before, but I usually recover and run fast on the downhill. So it's just more of like a neutral. Um, and then another thing you could try doing is helping your mind cultivate the positives. And I think we've talked about this on previous podcasts where you write down um, like five positives every day that are different. So they, these can be like gratitudes, things you're grateful for, things that are positive in your life. Because sometimes when you're so hyper-focused on the negative and you don't take the time to write out um, the positive things, your brain never gets a chance to really focus on positive. So I know for people who are really hardwired to kind of be more pessimistic or negative in nature, that writing down um, five gratitudes can actually help your brain start to see the world in a more positive outlook. Yeah, again, all good, um, you know, practices. And I think that for people that are kind of like me, where they their training maybe has gone and come in different phases of their life, I think a lot of times we have a tendency to keep comparing ourselves to previous uh, versions, right? When we were more fit, and so mm -hmm. I think it's really important to 
just always pick out the positive. So instead of like catching, instead of being like, oh, I'm so much slower than what my PR is, you know, think about, well, but I'm in a better position than I was a month ago when I wasn't running or last summer or, you know, when I did, the, did this race two years, years ago, that sort of thing. So figuring out the way to uh, kind of flip the negative thought or that trigger into a neutral statement or, you know, into something positive. And that kind of goes, um, goes with any run too. Like I always, when I send my pre-race plans out to athletes, I always have them identify their mantras so that they can have those ready for when it does get tough in the race. Because, you know, if you just give up when something in your mind tells you to oh, just slow up a few seconds per mile this pace or whatever, and then I think that if you remember those mantras, you're more likely to kind of gut it out and to just stay committed to your goals. And so, I think, yeah, this is, this is really an important one. It's probably one of the most difficult ones to master, especially with our, because it does involve, you know, it's a hundred percent mental. So. Yeah, it's definitely mental. I do think again, like the previous one we talked about, this is something that can manifest itself in other areas of your life. And so I would try to work on this in all areas, right? So if you notice that you're beating yourself up about something at work, um, practicing the mindfulness and just really trying to get in tune with, uh, being more positive or just non-judgmental of yourself and your emotional experiences can can go a long way. So the next one is consist, or inconsistent. So a weakness of some people would be being fairly inconsistent with your training. Um, this one is hard for me to speak to because it's like my number one strength, uh, but it's kind of that inconsistency, lacking organization or maybe discipline, motivation, whatever it may be. Um, these people, it's like, they maybe can be really good for a week or a month or a year. And then something will like kind of derail their, um, their routine or consistency. And it'll be, you know, kind of spotty. And this is actually extremely common. And so I know I mentioned mm -hmm. that for me, I don't really struggle with this, but this is something that is so, so common. Um, and just coaching runners over the years, I would say that probably like 70% of people struggle with the consistency because life is so, um, so busy and it can be really hard to prioritize um, running and training in general. And sometimes it can just feel like really overwhelming at times. So Jason, um, what are some ways that you help your athletes become more consistent? What are some ways you've struggled in the past with consistency and what helps you be more consistent? Wow, this is a loaded question. I feel like we could spend an entire podcast talking about it. Um, you know, I think the reason athletes become inconsistent, you mentioned, you know, life is a lot to handle. And, you know, after they maybe complete a, a race or something, or maybe their training has a setback due to an injury, that those are pretty common times, I think, to sort of fall off the wagon. And so for me, you know, I've, I'm guilty of this too, when I've had an injury and I haven't had any races on the calendar, instead of just like working really hard to rehab it and get back as quickly as possible without losing as much fitness, um, I would just kind of delay it and kind of just use that as an excuse. Well, I'm not going to run today and, and just not be as like, um, consistent and religious with doing like the, the PT exercises, that sort of thing. So I think athletes can kind of fall into that trap. Um, so helping my athletes, if they do have a flare up or an injury, instead of just like you know, not, not, uh, continuing coaching with me, I would hopefully try to get them onto like a cross training plan, really encourage them to seek PT, um, you know, do all the, all the little things that they can, um, spend the time that they were spending running, doing something else, whether that is strength training or, uh, biking, cross training, going to PT, that sort of thing. Um, uh, but that's just like one small reason, right. As to why runners are inconsistent. Um, 
there's, I mean, there's so many other ones. I think that, um, you know, we go through different phases of our life where maybe we're a bit busier with family or professional uh, work-related things or going back to school. And so I think it all boils down to like how much running becomes a priority to you. And for a lot of people, um, I was even probably, I felt this way a long time ago because um, I didn't really love the training so much, but I did love the idea of like racing, right? I just didn't, I just didn't like the idea of going out and doing like easy runs. Um, it didn't really get me going. Um, now I've learned to like it a lot more and embrace the training, but I think there's a lot of adult runners out there that were kind of like I was where they don't really care to do all the, you know, the weekday runs and stuff. They just kind of like to do the races and be able to participate. And so I think that that's where a lot of athletes struggle and that can, then they allow those other areas to really just kind of over, overrun, you know, the, the priority of getting in their run. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about you don't really, or you didn't used to like the training much, but you really like the racing. And I just kept thinking about how it was almost like an accountability structure, though. So you liked racing, you liked performing well on race day. And in order to do that, you knew you had to do the training. So those races were almost like keeping you accountable, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you almost <clears throat> felt off the, the fitness that you were in, like oh there's nothing keeping me accountable I don't have my accountability system anymore because the race results aren't there that sort of thing and I think this is really common for athletes where they might have something that they're accountable for for a while so maybe it's running with your friend maybe it's training for a race maybe it's working with a coach and then when that accountability is slowly goes away or maybe something changes or your marathon's over or you're not working with a coach anymore. It can be hard to be accountable to yourself. Um, I know some people don't struggle with that as much as others, but having the accountability factor is huge. And so what are some ways where you cultivate that accountability factor, both with yourself or with your athletes? Yeah, it's a really tough one. It's just kind of it, it goes back to like figuring out what is the root of the reason why you like to run and reminding them of how it makes them feel. Um, do they feel like they're a better person mentally, emotionally, physically? Do they feel healthier? Are they happier? Are they more productive? And just really helping them identify like what, you know, why they need to be uh, kind of rediscovering the accountability to themselves. Like you said, I think that's really good. And then once we've done that, it, they kind of get that that fire lit again and the passion for running. And then and then it comes down to figuring out the schedule and the routine and how are we going to make this happen, you know, based on your all your other um, responsibilities. And so just helping them with the plan, you know, um, making it attainable so we don't want to have it be obviously too, too much for them where they get burnt out. And so it's, you know, how we try to train athletes like slightly hold them back so that they just kind of feel hungry to do more and more. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of good points there. And making sure you have the proper training program is super important because sometimes we get overly ambitious and we can get caught in that burnout cycle. And so I think, like you said, just doing, doing just enough and not, um, to, not going over that line of too much can be super important for getting consistent and having accountability, whether that's a friend that you meet up with one day a week or a running group that maybe you run along with. Maybe it's having a running coach who's going to be emailing you a few times a week to check in to see how training is going. Um, I know little tricks that I do are I just lay out my clothes the night before. And so the first thing I see when I wake up and go to the bathroom is my running clothes. And so I'm like accountable to, oh, I, I laid these out. So I have to wear these right away to go on my run. Um, other things are like, I only listen to podcasts on my run and there's a few podcasts that I really enjoy. And so 
I have to make sure that I actually do my run in order to listen to them. Right. So it's almost like killing two birds with one stone. So if you find that there's like ways where you can kind of trick your mind into, oh yeah, like I actually do want to run, um, that can really help because running is hard. And so being consistent, um, once you kind of get the ball rolling and you get that momentum, it's pretty easy. But when you kind of lose that momentum and you're trying to get back into things, I know it can be a real challenge. Um, especially if, if you have things that are changing in your life. And so just trying to give yourself grace and, and establishing a new routine. I think routine definitely helps a lot, but um, it's easier when you're in the middle of that routine and the momentum is going to say, oh, yeah, routine helps. But when you start actually incorporating a routine, it can feel really challenging and it can almost kind of like shake up your whole um, day-to-day life but over time after you know 30 60 90 days it can just become more natural so finding a time during the day where you have more time to get a run in so the fourth weakness we wanted to talk about is insecurity and this is a lot of not believing in yourself maybe racing your workouts pushing it too hard on your easy days, maybe wanting to run 20 miles at your goal marathon pace. Um, It's having this deep-rooted insecurity that you're somehow different than others and that um, the training's not going to work for you or I'm not going to be able to hit my goals, those sort of things um, at the root of, of some of the behaviors that you're doing. So Jason, how does this manifest itself out in some of the athletes that you work with? Yeah, you know, um, lack of confidence, that can be definitely something that athletes can be aware of, or maybe they're not so aware of. And so I think just throughout their course of their training, you get a good idea if you're working with an athlete. Um, The types of athletes that are a bit more confident are the ones that can, um, you know, execute workouts where they maybe finish strong, or they just um, are able to hit the paces, um, or they're even a lot more just like positive about the whole experience. Um, A lot of times more you know, not, I would call like the insecure uh, types, tendencies. Um, I think those kind of come out in um, someone that maybe starts off too fast for the first one or something like that. Or um, they just right away look at the, like maybe they, maybe they hit like four out of the six, but they, um, they miss two of their paces of the intervals. And so they just are kind of down on themselves, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, just, it's really just variable depending on the athlete. You know, we're all different. We all think about our training differently. Um, but this is definitely a tough one, especially when we talk about racing, because, uh, depending on how, you know, consistent and confident you are with your training, this is really going to be the variable for how your race goes. And so, um, you know, everything we've kind of talked about so far plays into the race outcomes, but if you're not confident at three quarters of the way through your race, you know, you're not going to have a strong finish. So you have to remain confident in your fitness and in, in the, um, you know, your belief to have the ability to finish the race strong, right? And so mm-hmm. the negative split mindset, that sort of thing. So we've talked about being a gamer before. That's that's the attitude we want athletes to try to, um, you know, possess for themselves. And so I think it just, it kind of starts with like everyday training and just starting to be more confident and being able to go out and execute a progression run or a workout. And then, and then um, not having such high expectations on certain races, so maybe you go into a race and the only goal is really to um, negative split or to, you know, that sort of thing. Um, start off slow and then pick it up. That's that's the way to gain confidence, I, I believe. And I think a lot of runners are just, they're so like stuck in their own ways where they want to go out really hard and then they just fall off the way again. And so um, it's a tough one. I think it comes with time and experience as well. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, insecurity can definitely manifest itself in various ways. And I liked how you said the negative split thing. Um, a lot of times if an athlete is insecure, they will think they need to like go out a little harder to maybe quote unquote bank time for the inevitable slowdown that's going to happen the second half. And if you just don't believe that you can speed up the second half of the race, you're not probably going to ever trust, um, trust the training in a way where you're going to start slow. Um, this can also manifest itself in other ways, like you hear, um, you know, you, you're given scientific studies of, okay, this is what works for people. Uh, we don't really see a benefit in going over three hours for a long run. Um, and yet, like, still needing to have that, like, reassurance mentally of, okay, I can hit 22 miles before my marathon or whatever it may be. Um, despite, like, knowing that there really isn't a lot of benefit, that can be, like, your insecurity um, speaking, asking for, oh, I need this reassurance, or I need this confidence boost. So if you're always kind of searching for, like, that confidence boost and feeling like you're missing something, feeling like you constantly need reassurance, this could be um, a way that your insecurity is manifesting itself. Um, some ways that you can help to cultivate more self-confidence um, are simple things, like practicing self-care. Sometimes when people are insecure, they just don't really treat themselves with a lot of respect so giving yourself proper nutrition proper sleep proper boundaries sometimes we just like set ourselves up for failure because we're not doing these things and we're we're not giving ourselves proper nutrition we're not giving ourselves that space for proper sleep time we think oh it doesn't matter or oh I, I don't my sleep doesn't matter but it does and that's one way that you can build self-confidence is just practicing self-care um, maybe working with a coach uh, can help you because sometimes someone else's belief in you can help you believe in yourself. But at the end of the day, you still need to work on your own self-confidence as well. Um, and I know some people will message and they'll say, oh, like, I'll start working with a coach when I become, you know, a marathoner or when I become a little bit faster. Uh, but in reality, you can start working with a coach at any time and sometimes taking that leap and doing something that maybe you wouldn't typically do or maybe you really want to buy those new carbon plated shoes, but you're like, oh no, those aren't for me or oh, I don't want to look funny wearing these, but just do the thing that maybe you're a little bit afraid to do. I know for some women, it can be like running in a sports bra. Maybe it's it's hot out, but you don't feel like you can run in a sports bar, like you're waiting for permission, like you don't really need permission to do something, right? So it might be a little bit uncomfortable, but kind of getting out there and doing something that scares you a little bit can help build your confidence in that way um, and doing it like unapologetically. Um, sometimes stepping away from toxic people. So sometimes there's people in our lives that are negative or they're talking down to us or they don't believe in us. So kind of creating boundaries around that and stepping away from people who aren't good for you, spending time with people who do make you feel good and who build you up. But again, always, as always, it comes um, internally too. Um, and then also writing down the list of things you're good at. So if you're just really struggling with this, try to find things that you're really good at and building confidence in those areas. And then it can help you recognize like, hey, I'm actually good at a lot of things and maybe I'm good at this running thing too. Yeah, you know, this is all good stuff and it kind of made me think of the opposite. Uh, end of the spectrum, right? Those athletes that are really confident and they almost like go into a race with this expectation of, well, my training's gone so good. And so I'm just going to hit this pace for the first half and then it should feel easy, right? And then I should be able to pick it up and finish strong. And so uh, a lot of times, though, a lot of times those types of athletes or those races may not go according to plan. And 
that really sometimes is or is not a reflection of the confidence. It could be more about just the experience or just like overanalyzing certain things. And I know we're going to talk about these two things next. So, um, but yeah, definitely something interesting because I know there's probably a lot of athletes listening who are like, well, this isn't my issue at all. Like I'm super confident, you know? And so, you know, I'm always confident when it comes to like being able to run what I think I should run at a certain race. Um, but that doesn't mean like, I don't struggle in certain other areas. And so, right. you know, it's just, it's kind of cool to see like how this is all sort of connected and um, you may even go through phases, right? Where you're, you're super confident. Maybe you were confident in the past for training cycle. And then mm-hmm. this time around, you're just like not as confident. And I had an athlete like this recently and um, just wasn't quite as confident, even though I think she was in very comparable shape, if not even more fit. Um, unfortunately, race conditions didn't allow the weather to be um, ideal for racing. Um, but that's just an example of how sometimes we can be tricked based on the other, you know, the other aspects that go into our training as well. Right. And I think our identity also plays a role into this. So even just sometimes people, I think, struggle with confidence, even identifying as a runner in general. And I can definitely relate to this as someone who started running later in life um, than maybe most people. And then I was someone who smoked, right? Like I was a smoker. So I went from doing like the most opposite thing of running in my mind. I was like, you're so far from being an athlete. I mean, you're doing something where you're like damaging your lungs. So I had like this narrative in my head of like, you're damaging your lungs. You're not, you know, you're doing things not good for your body. But at the same time, I wanted to transition into a more like healthy lifestyle and I wanted to be a runner. And so that's like, building your cardiovascular system and that's being this really healthy person and so for a while I was like which what am I you know and then there was always kind of that imposter syndrome so even after I quit smoking and I started running I felt like whenever I showed up at a race or whenever I was around runners that somehow they were looking at me and they like knew that I used to you know smoke or that I'm not really like a quote-unquote runner and so I'm sure no one was really looking at me thinking any of those things, but I felt like they were. And so it was like this deep rooted insecurity of like, oh, like I'm not good enough. Like I don't have enough experience, that sort of thing. But I think it's just really important to recognize that this can be really a common experience. And I do think sometimes the running community, if you're newer to it, can be a little bit intimidating. And I know for several years I was like chasing, um, chasing accomplishments or things I could check off my um, roster or like running bucket list in order to gain more approval from others or to feel more confident in myself. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening is, you know, after my first marathon, after I qualified for Boston, those sort of things, I realized that like nothing was changing internally with my confidence, right? Like I felt like the exact same person And so I really had to do some work on like, oh, it's actually my mindset that needed changing. Um, It wasn't ever like an accomplishment. So you can sometimes be someone who thinks, oh, I just need to chase this or I just need to achieve this or I need to look this way or that way. But in reality, it's always going to be this underlying thing. If you don't feel good enough, that's always going to be there, even if you do achieve like very high levels. And so this can be something that's really prevalent um, in the running community, especially if you do have maybe some of those perfectionist tendencies, maybe there might be some deep-rooted insecurities. And so just knowing that it can be common and that you can work on things to um, get better at this and build that self-confidence for sure. 
So number five we wanted to talk about was just lack of experience. So this one is more of like a technical one. A lot of the other ones we've been talking about are more in depth of like mental training. This is more of like a technical skill. So racing and running and performing as a runner, definitely experience does come into play, right? So anyone can get into this sport, but if you have been in the sport for longer and you have a lot of marathons under your belt, you just have more experience. And that is a huge strength. So if you are someone who's been running for like decades, that is one of your strengths. Regardless of if you think it is or not, it definitely is because you just have more knowledge and experience than someone who is maybe first starting out. Um, things that can help if you are someone who, or if, oh my gosh, if you are lacking experience, things that maybe are like red flags of um, things that you could work on are your pacing or just your technical skills of like in a workout, um, kind of understanding like when to call it, when not to, or when to add an extra rest day, when not to, because maybe you just don't have a lot of that experience to um, to ride off of. Like you don't know, oh, if I take this rest day, um, is it going to be more beneficial because you've never experienced this situation before? So Jason, what are some ways that the lack of experience kind of manifests itself and how quickly is someone able to gain this experience? Yeah, I think for adult runners, you know, if you're if you're training on your own and you don't have an, an outside source sort of uh, helping you look at your training in different lenses, like, um, you know, analyzing just like your workouts, easy runs, your approach to racing, um, you know, people that have been running all their lives, they've had many opportunities to do races, especially um, kids growing up high school and, and college cross country programs and track and field, you know, they're racing almost every week. And take a cross-country season, for example, they might get six or eight opportunities to run the same distance week after week. And so a lot of times you'll see kids at the end of the season, they'll run their fastest time of the year. Well, why is that? Um, for the majority, it's because they're getting the experience. And the coach may have, obviously you're tapering, you're, you know, you're building your training and you're tapering at the end of the season. But also um, with each race, you're trying to maybe think about uh, developing certain parts of the mental um, side of racing that go into that race. So early on in the season, it might just be like, just go out there and compete, you know, mm -hmm. and then it might be like running as a pack or a group, or it might be uh, running your first mile at this exact pace, or it might be just like focusing on the effort in the middle of the race. I really want you guys to focus on the effort in the middle of the race. And then eventually it gets to be like strong finishing kicks and all that. And so you're just working on, and then each course and each, con each race condition might be slightly different too, right? So you might have different um, hills that you want to adjust for and that sort of thing. And and then at the end of the season, hopefully it just all comes together, right? So you've been kind of working on all of these pieces to the puzzle that go into the mindset and the physical demands that are going to be required on race day. And so um, through that experience, I think they just gain confidence, right? And so a lot of times adults, we don't get as many opportunities to work on all of the pieces to the puzzle for race day. You know, we might just do that one race um, or... You know, our, we may have to really start to reflect on our workouts and have those kind of serve as these pieces that are missing. Yeah, this is such a good topic. I feel like we do a whole podcast on racing experience and, and stuff like that. But running is a technical sport in ways. So I know you look at other sports like basketball, soccer, and you see, okay, they're doing drills, they're practicing shooting, they're practicing whatever, you know, dribbling, stuff like that. Um, in running, what you're practicing is pacing. 
And that is, it just seems so obvious and like easy, right? Like, oh yeah, right. pleasing yourself, no big deal. But that's like huge. It's <laughs> the number one thing that you really need to get down in order to um, really reach your potential in the sport. And I know back when I first started running, I had a really poor gauge of pacing. I maybe thought I was pretty good at doing it, but really it was like the spectrum of of paces it was just harder I don't know and, and something about having the experience of okay I'm out for a run looking down at the pace okay I understand what pace I'm running and being in tune with your body that is something that really only experience can give you of having the tool in front of you understanding this is the pace I am running this is how it feels and there's nothing that actual tactical experience can replace right I mean you have to actually have that experience in order to gain the the wisdom that comes along with that I mean the same would be true for you know shooting like shooting hoops and shooting from various points on the court Um, a really experienced player is going to have more confidence doing that and it's just going to have more experience doing it so their accuracy is probably going to be higher than say if you took me out there and said okay you're just going to start practicing the skill. I would be really bad at it at first, but obviously over time you would get better. And so I think a lot of people overlook that. Um, and that can be something that can really set you apart, right? So someone who is new to running, they could be hitting all the same paces as me at workouts or um, maybe in like 400 meter sprints or something on the track. But if you put us out on a race course and said, okay, like go race this distance, I could potentially beat them by a significant amount simply because I understand um, like how to pace or what the strategy would be on the race. Whereas someone who doesn't really have a lot of experience with racing strategy and with how their body is going to feel at every point um, in the race, they might just not have that same like wisdom and experience. So they wouldn't be able to maybe get to their whole fitness potential on race day, if that makes sense. Yeah, all good points. You know, you develop your experience through um, different experiences, right? So I, I guess, you know, people that did compete growing up, they're at an advantage because they got to learn um, around other people too, right? So they learn from like their teammates, maybe mistakes, or um, maybe the coach just made it a big priority to focus on this one little small aspect or detail of the race this week. And I think over time, the athletes that are more experienced, they maybe have a little bit more confidence. They can go into races and not have to like be as like, right. they don't have to like mentally prepare the same way as maybe other people do because it's just so natural to them. Um, whereas sometimes adults, we maybe we overanalyze things way too much about like hitting certain paces and we really need to focus more on just like running off effort and like how we should be feeling and thinking at certain parts of the race. I think that's super important. Like how you want to feel at mile two of a 5k, that sort of thing. Um, or mile 10 of your marathon and we get so you know wrapped up in the details like I have to fuel every you know every 35 minutes and I need to be running this pace and if I fall off 10 seconds here I'm gonna have to make it up there and it's just like I think yeah and then all this I'm kind of getting into the next one which is overanalyzing but I think the the more experience you get I think it just helps with all of these other areas you know being more um, kind of just solidifying a better foundation Yeah, experience can definitely help with wisdom. And one of the things that kept popping up as you were talking was about the Twin Cities one mile that we do fairly often. And so in college, what was this like? 
I don't even know how many years ago, what, 15 years ago now? 15 years ago, whatever, you ran like a four, what, what's your mile PR again? 414. Okay, 414 mile. But now, obviously, you do not compete at that level. Like, you're not doing that many workouts. You rarely do, you know, mile-specific training or workouts. But for several years thereafter, like even a decade removed from college, you would go to this TC1 mile off of, like, 20 miles a week and go and run, like, a sub-five-minute mile. And I was always like, how are you pulling this out? Even, like, on years you didn't really train or you'd be running literally 15 miles a week. And I was always like, oh, it's just natural talent or, oh, like, it's the aerobic base, whatever. And maybe, like, there is some truth to that, obviously. But I think at the same time, you just, like, you're so confident in that your ability to run that time or you're just so experienced running the mile. I mean, you raced it so many times in college where you know exactly how you need to feel at each right. section. Right, that's the key, how exactly. to feel. Yep. Right, and then you know how to like pace it. And Adjust you have a pretty the good pace gauge. based on that. Right, mm-hmm. and so it's because of the experience you have where I think that's how you're able to still execute at that level because you are an experienced miler. Just like I think there are some people, maybe Ben Jacobs, for example, he trained more specifically in the the 5k in college and so he has a lot of 5k experience and you'll notice Ben Jacobs likes to do 5ks and he'll do a lot of them and he's someone where he can take a lot of time off um, his 5k where it's like he goes and he raises one and then it'll take you know like a minute off the next one and it's just because I think he tactically knows like how he needs to feel at each point of the 5k that sort of thing um, he can still, you know, pull out a pretty fast 5K time, even if, like, his one-mile fitness isn't there. And I know sometimes he's done the, the TC one-mile in the same time as you, but then you guys race the 5K together, and, you know, there has been running a faster 5K time. And that's – a lot of that, I think, has to do with experience because if you spend four years of your life dedicated to running at this distance and racing it multiple weekends in a row, like – um, so hardcore and then even after college you guys were really into those same distances you just become naturally better at it just like me with the marathon a lot of the times I look at it and I'm like you know I think I actually was in better shape six years ago but um, you know here I am running a marathon PR six years later maybe I'm not in better shape at all but I'm more experienced in the marathon right so it's like I, I have 20 marathons under my belt and so maybe it's just easier for me to know how to pace it, know how to fuel, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And that's something that comes with time and with experience, definitely. So I think for that one, just getting out there, getting experiences, signing up for races. So even if you're a little bit nervous or you feel like, oh, I don't have enough experience, signing up, getting the experience, that's how you get better. Trying new workouts is another huge one, right? So maybe you have like these safety net workouts that you always do. I kind of fell into this trap for a long time. Like I don't do the same workouts all the time I'd see, you know, oh, there's this other workout I could try. And I was like, well, I don't know how to pace that. Or what if I blow up? Or like, what if I, you know, there's all this like, what if, what if, what if? Because I've never done it before. Um, So that kind of can hold you back. So you want to be trying new things. You want to try new workouts. Maybe hiring a coach who can push you out of your comfort zone and also mentor you along the way and tell you um, new ways that you can improve and help with your experience. Because sometimes that can speed things up. So when... I hired my first coach. I know he explained so many things to me that I didn't even understand. And so that expedited, um, like a year of my training, I pretty much was able to cover what some people do in like three years, just because I was able to understand concepts and improve my training that much faster under someone else's mentorship and guidance. 
So the sixth factor and final one we want to talk about is the weakness of overanalyzing and focusing way too much on the details. So obviously there's always a time and place for looking at the details, but sometimes people can get so caught up in the details that they lose sight of the big picture. And that is something that we want to avoid because the big picture is really important. And obviously the details are what make up the big picture, but are you someone who is prone to overanalyzing? And so Jason, what are some ways that you can tell if someone is in that analysis paralysis or they're overanalyzing things? Yeah, a couple different examples would be, you know, athletes that really fixate on the numbers. So they want to hit a certain weekly mileage total. Um, you know, they're not as concerned with, with like listening to their body, running off a field, but they're more worried about like the metrics or like hitting certain paces, that sort of thing. Um, that's one, just one example, I think. Um, you know, any sort of like, yeah, like run streaks or people that maybe don't want to take rest days um, or... Yeah, I guess just maybe like forcing things a little bit too much just because of the way it makes them feel or always like rounding up maybe um, instead of, you know, let's say they're supposed to run, let's say they're, they're uh, easy pace is eight to nine minutes, right? So instead of running like 805s, they got to run like 755 just because it gets them right under that eight minute pace. So that's just an example. But again, you know, it can start with everyday runs. It can start with like workouts. Um, yeah, like just how many uh how many like long long runs they need for a marathon buildup i know that's a common one like making sure they want to hit certain um not just like doing two or three 20 miles but also having a big portion of those long runs be at their marathon effort right because they think oh if i can't run eight or ten miles at marathon pace during my long run how am i going to do it for 26 on race day so that's probably one of the those are some of the biggest examples that i have i guess Right, when you're getting so caught up in like one specific thing that you lose sight of that big picture. So some of this kind of is overlapping, right? So some of that insecurity of like, oh, I need to, to have reassurance of this one workout in order to reach my goals. This one is more like you're focusing so much on the details like, oh, you know, I slowed down for mile 12 to 13. What does that mean? And you're trying to find like meaning in something that maybe there is no meaning, right? So you maybe you feel really bad the day after one workout but you feel okay the day after another workout and if you're like oh what does that mean and you're trying to like just dive maybe a little bit too deep into something where there really isn't a lot of meaning maybe it's okay you just didn't sleep as good and sometimes people can like go off the rails because they're like oh this week I feel worse than I did the week before oh you know I must be losing fitness or you know they start like right. catastrophizing um, like a minor detail that most people would otherwise just kind of like blow off so I think people who are into overanalyzing they might have a job where they pay a lot of attention to detail and sometimes like get really caught up in, in numbers or things like that um, sometimes it's the weekly mileage stuff, right? So you really, really think you need to hit at least X miles a week, even though you're having symptoms of like burnout or fatigue. Um, and sometimes when you're focusing so much on hitting like a specific weekly mileage, even if you feel fine, right? Like let's say you feel great, you feel totally fine. If that is where all of your focus and attention is going and you're not able to focus that attention on other things like are you pacing correctly? Are you having positive thoughts? Are you focusing on proper nutrition? And you're not looking at yourself as like a whole athlete and instead you're so hyper-focused on, oh, I have to hit 40. If, as long as I hit the 40, I, everything's good and I'm just going to, um, that sort yeah. of mindset that, that can be um, definitely a roadblock for some people. Yeah, that's a really good point. The recovery too aspect, right? Mm. Like getting the sleep, like and I think that that's often so overlooked when we try to focus on, you know, getting those weekly totals or just running, you know, the 20 miles at this pace. Um, 
And so I think the more you're able to see the big picture and even like on a week to week basis, like just noticing, like if you, if you're feeling really good, that's, that's a great thing, but then you should also make sure you want, you want to continue that feeling, right? Like into your taper week so that you feel that way close to your race. You don't want to feel that way three weeks, four weeks out from your marathon and then feel like you maybe peaked too early or that you're um, just now feeling too run down. And so how do you kind of sustain that? You know, so make sure that you're giving yourself um, time to recover, regroup, and just like you said, focus on all of the other aspects, like the um, the mental side and, and that sort of thing as well. Right. If you find yourself kind of overanalyzing things, like maybe you want to take an extra rest day, or you're going to turn, your coach says, okay, instead of doing 20 this week, let's do 18 or something like that. Um, if you're someone who's like just super hyper focusing on that. Um, ways that you can challenge this and try to be more big picture focused is try to focus on other parts of your training too. So instead of hyper focusing on that 20 miler, you could be looking at the accumulation of what you've done in the previous six weeks, right? So looking back and be like, oh, you know, I ran pretty high mileage the last couple of weeks. I've been building, looking where your fitness was maybe a year ago, two years ago, and realizing like in the grand scheme of big picture of things, you're on a great track to having a successful race. And then just understanding like the risk versus reward, right? And and seeing that big picture and how it's going to play out is super important. So recognizing yourself when you're getting a little bit too caught up in those details and then seeing the big picture, seeing your future, that sort of thing can definitely help. So I hope that this was helpful. I definitely think it's important to assess your strengths and weaknesses because often we just kind of go through life and we just um, kind of follow the rules and all that stuff and assessing where you are at personally on an individual level and what you could work on to become better is not only going to make you a better runner, but it's also just going to make you a better person in general. And so I hope that some of these were helpful in terms of implementing changes that you can create on your road to becoming a better runner. And with that being said, I don't know if there's anything else that we have to add on this podcast. So if you are interested interested in working with a coach and trying out a free seven day trial, we would love to get started working with you, getting to know your background and working with a coach is a great way to work on your strengths and your weaknesses and have someone really challenge you out of your comfort zone. So you can fill out the form at www.run4prs.com and we can get started right away. Thanks for tuning in.